Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, you tell us in Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And Father, we recognize that when we seek to expose this dark work, we're not simply pulling a veil on the world out there. We are, in truth, pulling a veil on a darkness that is known in here, in this sanctuary, and in this family. And so, how I pray that you would help me as I handle the Word of God as carefully as you can help me to do so. I grant, Father, I pray that you would grant this word to both sting and sing. If it doesn't do both this morning, something has veered off course. I pray on the one hand that we would see and feel what I've been feeling this week, the weight of this absolutely diabolical sin in our nation and in our lives. And at the same time, I pray that we would see a way out, that we would know freedom and possibilities and hope. And as Aaron prayed for us a few moments ago, good news as we head into this community this week. So be with us. Our great desire is to be fed by the word of God, to be calibrated to true north of the gospel so that we could leave this place prepared to be and make disciples of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray it. Amen. By God's grace, this is the seventh consecutive year that this pulpit has recognized National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Every year for the last seven years, we have sought to blow the trumpet for the unborn. In 2013, we addressed abortion from the context of the book of Joshua in a sermon entitled, The Insidiousness of Sin. In 2014, during our study of the Gospel of John, we looked at the Holocaust within a Holocaust that is known as eugenic abortion, which seeks to single out the most vulnerable as if the unborn were not already vulnerable, but namely those unborn with disabilities. Four years ago, in 2015, in the midst of a series that sought to introduce biblical counseling to this congregation, we considered abortion through the lens of a sermon entitled, Dust, Breath, and death, the making and marring of man, and its implications for counseling. 2016, we were treated to what I consider to be one of the finest expositions of Psalm 139 I've ever heard. That was given by our own Dr. Guy Runkel as he preached fearfully and wonderfully made a biblical response to abortion. In 2017, we began our study of the Gospel of Luke, and we took up one of the birth narratives 
of the Savior in Luke's gospel. And we recognize that while abortion is a stunning atrocity against any child, imagine for a moment if it was against the Christ child. Mary was an unwed mother with an unenviable pregnancy, at least on the front end it seemed. What if Mary had aborted Jesus? That's what we sought to turn our attention to in Luke chapter 2, two years ago. And most recently, this time last year, we took up Proverbs 21.11, as you heard read just a moment ago, Proverbs 21.11, which commands us to rescue those who are being taken away to death, hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. And it was in the context of that message where we explored six biblical and practical strategies for being proactive in the pro-life cause. We're not really pro-life unless we're proactive, and that sermon sought to help us to do that. This year, our topic is Molech worship in the 21st century. Molech worship in the 21st century. Well, who in the world is Molech, and what is Molech worship? Over 3,000 years ago, Molech was the name given to a Canaanite god, lowercase g, of a number of ancient people groups in the ancient Near East, people such as the Ammonites, the Phoenicians, the Philistines, the Arameans. They were all worshipers of Molech. Molech is actually a variation on the Hebrew name Melech, which just simply means king. While the exact nature and detail of Molech worship is somewhat vague, we know enough from both the historical record inside and outside Holy Scripture as well as the work of archaeology in the land of Israel to form some breathtaking and horrifying conclusions about Molech worship. Not only did this type of worship involve all manner of wicked sexual practices, Molech worship is known perhaps for more than anything else for child sacrifice. Due both to discovery of ancient texts as well as the discovery of ancient cemeteries over the last generation, cemeteries that contain the bodies of little ones, we have learned that Molech worship was conducted by entire ancient communities as they gathered around a giant metal statue comprised of the body of a man and the head of a bull. The arms of the statue were extended out from the body. You can see pictures of this online if you dare. The body itself was also cast with multiple compartments inside. A fire was then lit at the base of the statue so that the idol itself became scorching hot to the touch. And then couples would bring their babies, typically their firstborn sons, and place them either on Molech's arms or in one of these compartments alongside other sacrifices. For generation upon generation, ancient Near Eastern peoples living in and around the land of Israel worshipped Molech by burning their babies alive so that he might in turn prosper them materially, physically, socially, etc. Now, online resources will tell us that child sacrifice is the ritualistic killing of children in order to please or appease a god 
in order to achieve a desired result. And you know what? The first time I read that to myself, I thought, that's an excellent definition of abortion. If someone were to ask you to define abortion, how how would you do it? Abortion is the ritualistic killing of pre-born children, although not always pre-born. The ritualistic killing of children in order to please or appease a God in order to achieve a desired result. As such, it is a form of human sacrifice. And what makes the ritualistic killing of children so so scandalous and so outrageous is that for nearly half a century it's been regarded by our nation as a constitutionally protected and unalienable right. In what has to be the most, one of the most high-handed expressions of human pride and human depravity in our nation's history, the Supreme Court locates this right within the 14th Amendment to the United States Constitution in a portion known, ironically, as the Equal Protection Clause. Equal protection for whom? You see, abortion is, is not merely an abomination. Abortion is nothing less than state-sanctioned child sacrifice. Abortion isn't merely an abomination. It is nothing less than state-sanctioned child sacrifice. You know what an abomination is, don't you? It's a thing of horror. It's a terror or disgust. Something so repugnant or revolting that to simply call it to mind is enough to make you sick. Like what you were thinking and what you were feeling and what you wanted to do when I described to you just in broad strokes the the worship, the ancient worship of Molech. Burning babies alive in the arms of a cast metal god among the ancient Near Eastern people groups in the land of Israel over and over and over again. Why? So that their crops would be plentiful. So, So that their health would be robust. So in the time that remains this morning, I'd like to offer two applications from the Bible that are designed to help us to be a part of stemming the tide of abortion in our nation, because abortion isn't merely an abomination, it is state-sanctioned child sacrifice. So ask the Lord to help you, number one, to apprehend the utter idolatry of abortion. Ask the Lord to help you to apprehend the utter idolatry of abortion. Now, we won't be in one single passage of Holy Scripture this morning. Instead, we'll look at a number of Old Testament passages as well as new. And you are welcome to turn to each one of these and encounter them in the sermon. Or you can just sit back and kind of let this wash over you and, and listen that way. But I'd like to begin to approach this first point by reading to you from the book of Leviticus, chapter 18, in verse 21, Leviticus 18.21 says, You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Now, if you have an ESV, you'll notice a footnote in verse 21 that's worth chasing down. The footnote indicates that the phrase offer them in the original is something actually much more vivid. 
The Hebrew actually says, you shall not let any of your children pass through to Molech. And the phrase, the fire, is provided in brackets because that is what they were passing through. You have to admit the footnote is slightly more descriptive. What's captured here in the original language of verse 21? Well, it's, it's the whole world of ritualistic child sacrifice bound up with the worship of Molech. Now, Molech worship is such a stunning offense to the Lord that we see it referred to repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. There's half a dozen references. You see them there under point number one. But so that we can see it from another angle, I'd like for us to turn to Leviticus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And I'll start reading the first three verses there. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3, we read, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. Now let's hold up the reading right there. Um, in some sense, in those verses, what we have is a, it's a restatement to some degree, a reiteration of what we just read in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21. But then we see added to the, to the prohibition of a penalty. And in case any of us missed it, the, the penalty added to the prohibition in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, is death. Capital punishment by stoning for the sin of child sacrifice. Perhaps you're thinking, well, yeah, I mean, for something as as barbaric as that, I mean, for one of God's covenant people, after the custom of the surrounding nations, to take one of their children and roast them to death on the arms of a Canaanite idol, yeah, the, the punishment fits the crime. But see, I would submit to you that the practice of abortion in our nation is far more barbaric than Molech worship. We have literally invented new ways of sacrificing children in our culture that make Molech worship look practically tame by comparison. For example, in the first trimester, there's a surgical procedure known as dilation and cuterage, or DNC. DNC, a powerful suction tube with a sharp cutting edge, is inserted into the womb, and the unborn child is literally dismembered by blades through the force of a vacuum. Another trimester, first trimester form of abortion is what's known as a chemical abortion, or you may have heard the the letters and numbers RU486, more commonly the abortion pill. In this case, a woman swallows pills. These pills essentially serve to starve the unborn child over a period of hours. In a matter of days, an early labor is created and a stillborn child is expelled Now, moving into the second trimester, things get a little bit more complicated, though not less legal. 
There are both surgical and chemical options here as well. On the surgical side, children as old as 24 weeks can be aborted using a technique known as dilation and evacuation, or D&E. Though similar to DNC, DNE is unique and, and necessary given the unborn child's size, that a, a forceps with sharp metal jaws called a sofa clamp is introduced. And you need to hear this if you don't know this. One by one, the sofa clamp is introduced into the woman's body while the baby's limbs are grasped, twisted, and then torn from the child limb by limb. The child's entire body, except for the head, is dismembered this way. Lastly, given the maturity of the baby at this point, the doctor must finally compress and crush the child's skull prior to removal. Then there's the chemical option during the second trimester. Essentially, what happens here is that a series of drugs are introduced into the mother's abdomen in a procedure known as saline amniocentesis. In this case, the baby is is poisoned, being forced to breathe in a salt solution. In addition to poisoning the child, the chemical also serves to burn and to sear the baby's skin as he chokes to death prior to being stillborn about a day and a half later. Now, if a child is to be aborted late second or even in the third trimester, which, by the way, is perfectly legal in our nation, we have what is often referred to as a partial birth abortion, which is not legal, has not been legal since 2003. More on that in a moment. One resource I read described it this way. Guided by an ultrasound, the abortionist reaches into the uterus, grabs the unborn baby's leg with forceps, pulls the baby into the birth canal except for the head, which is deliberately kept inside the womb. At this point, in the partial birth abortion, the baby is alive and well. The abortionist then jams scissors into the back of the baby's skull, spreads the tips of the scissors apart to enlarge the wound. After removing the scissors, a suction catheter is introduced into the baby's skull and the baby's brains are sucked out. The collapsed head is removed then from the uterus. Now, partial birth abortion was banned by our Congress in late 2003. And the decision has been constitutionally upheld since then. 2007, it was upheld by the Supreme Court. And for good reason. For partial birth abortion became impossible for people to distinguish from infanticide. The question is of whether or not they continue to be available today, that is, partial birth abortions despite the law, is another matter. There is evidence that they are still done Now, why is this important? What biblical reason could I possibly have for doing what I just did? Graphically depicting what happens in the first, second, or third trimester abortion. The biblical answer to that question is found in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5. In Leviticus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5, God himself says, If the people of the land... Do it all close their eyes to that man when he gives one of his children to Molech and do not put him to death. 
Then I will set my face against that man and against his clan, and I will cut them off from among their people, him and all who follow him, whoring after Molech. In other words, in ancient Israel, those who looked away, those who closed their eyes, those who stopped their ears were just as complicit as those who took part in the work. As Proverbs 24, verses 10 to 12 says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Mount Evangelical Free Church, it is unconscionable and it is unimaginable that we would ever turn our eyes away from this or seek to sanitize it for the sake of our consciences. Last year alone, 41.9 million children were sacrificed before birth. Child sacrifice is the leading cause of death in the world by a country mile in this nation leading the charge. Nearly one quarter of all pregnancies ended in abortion just last year in this world. Closer to home here in the U.S., there have been over 60 million children sacrificed since Roe v. Wade 46 years ago this week. On average, that's 2,500 little ones a day. In the state of Minnesota, 27 Preborn children are killed every day. That's nearly 10,000 little Minnesotans every year in the 15 abortion clinics in our state. And it's idolatry, it's worship because it, it fits the classic definition. Remember that an idol is something that you want so bad you would sin in order to get it or you would sin if you don't. That's an idol. Something that you want so bad you would sin in order to get it or you'd sin if you you don't. Therefore, Moloch worship is alive and well in this world today and in our nation especially. Although children are being sacrificed, this at the end of the day is not about killing children. The child is simply collateral damage. Children are merely an impediment, an obstacle on our way to getting what we really want, whether it's choice or comfort or career, or simply life on our terms. And nothing, no one, not even a child, not even our children, are going to stop me from getting it. That is why the sin of abortion at root is idolatry. That's why it's literally diabolical. It's, it's satanic to the core. Now, that's, that's the bad news. You can take a breath now. I had other passages for us to consider, but I think I'll leave those for you to read as you have opportunity. I'd like to wrap up this point and recap it and and move on to the good news and to be part of the solution, not just to expose the problem. Abortion isn't merely an an abomination. It's it's nothing less than state-sanctioned child sacrifice. So ask the Lord to help you. Ask him if he hasn't given you this grace to apprehend the utter idolatry of abortion. Second and final point today. 
counsel others from the storehouse of Scripture in the midst of the slaughter. Abortion isn't merely an abomination. It's nothing less than state-sanctioned child sacrifice. So ask the Lord to help you to counsel others from the storehouse of Scripture in the midst of the slaughter. If you find yourself simply oppressed and, and crushed beneath the weight of the reality of point one, you're not alone. I've carried it all week. I also want to help you in this moment so that you would know and feel the freedom of point two. Because abortion is diabolical. There's no way around it. But it may be the devil's single greatest work in this world. That's true. But the Bible says that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Furthermore, in the scriptures, we have wisdom, we have hope, we have help, we have healing that we can offer to one another as well as to anyone in this community around us who would receive it. And you want to know why? Because in this church, we don't just counsel a theory. We counsel a person. A person who was crucified and resurrected and ascended and is soon to return. We counsel Christ because in the pages of the Bible, every promise of God finds its yes in him. Yes, the suffering and sin and idolatry of abortion is deep, but Christ is deeper still. So as we close this moment, I want to bring us to four promises, four promises rooted in the gospel that we can take with us. We can leave this place, apply them to one another, and push them intentionally into the lives of those around us, to those who desperately need them. And the first promise is this, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Whether you are with us today and you have had an abortion or encouraged an abortion or performed an abortion or you have for far too long turned a blind eye to abortion, I invite you to hear the words of John 1, 8 and following. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Friends, when we seek to counsel others from the storehouse of Scripture, particularly about abortion, this is the first stop that we need to make. In the gospel, in Jesus, we have something to offer one another and our world that no one else has. Release, pardon, absolution, amnesty, and it's found in no one other than Jesus. And it is found in Jesus. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. No footnotes on that. All unrighteousness. Remember what forgiveness actually is. It's it's the canceling of a sin debt in such a way that God refuses to dwell on it. He's not going to bring it up again and and use it against us. And he's not going to let it stand in the way of our relationship with him. That's forgiveness. And it's about the most precious thing in the world. If we're going to be used of the Lord to counsel others from the storehouse of Scripture in the midst of the slaughter, then here's where we begin. We begin with forgiveness for ourselves and for those around us. But here's the second promise. second promise is healing. Healing. I'm thinking here of James chapter 5, verse 16, where the Scripture says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another, And pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, in the broader context, James is dealing with physical healing, and we absolutely ought to pray for that in one another's lives. It's just that the wording of verse 16 runs in the direction of a different kind of healing, since it mentions the confession of sin. The wording of verse 16 reminds us that this is not merely physical healing, but a healing of the spirit, a curing of the soul. And it happens on the condition that we confess our sins to one another, that we go horizontal with that which we've already gone vertical. You may not realize this, but it's essential that you do. Statistics tell us that nearly one-third of all women in America will have had an abortion by the end of their lives. One-third. Think of how many women are in our church alone. And when you begin to add fathers into this equation, that number by complicity grows even larger in this. So brothers and sisters, the potential for lifelong shame and scarring and brokenness is very, very real if we don't trust this promise in James 5, 16. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, some of the sweetest and most powerful moments I've known as a member of this church have been when women among us have come to me, sometimes alongside their husbands, and confessed to me the reality of abortion in their lives. And I'll tell you something it never fails. God has healing. He promises it. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. This is good, good medicine. If we're going to be used of the Lord to counsel others from the storehouse of Scripture in the midst of the slaughter, then let's point one another to the promises of both forgiveness and healing. One more to offer to us before we finish, and that's comfort. Comfort. Here I'm thinking of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where the Apostle Paul speaks of the matchless comforts of the gospel, where what we experience in Christ, we cannot but extend to others. 
2 Corinthians 1, 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The picture here isn't just of someone who's forgiven. It's not just of someone who's healed. It's more. This is a person that is so brimful of the comforts of the gospel that they can't but spill them onto other people as they bump into them. That's comfort. You know you've got it when you can't but give it. That's the comfort of the grace of God in the gospel. There's a whole storehouse of riches in Holy Scripture if we will venture in. The Bible is bursting with promises of forgiveness, of healing, of comfort. They're ours, purchased by Jesus, if we would lay hold of them by grace through faith. So enjoy the gospel yourself and entrust the gospel to others. It's the only way forward. Well, let's review. Abortion isn't merely an abomination. It's, it's nothing less than state-sanctioned child sacrifice. So ask the Lord to help you, in this case, do two things. Number one, to apprehend the utter idolatry of abortion. And ask the Lord to help you to counsel others, to counsel others from the storehouse of Scripture in the midst of the slaughter. In a very helpful article published over at the Gospel Coalition this past week, author Trevin Wax noted that America has never been closer to reversing Roe v. Wade. Can you imagine that? America has never been closer. I'm surprised that I'd ever in my lifetime read that sentence. America has never been closer to reversing Roe v. Wade. But a pro-life culture in which abortion is not just illegal but unthinkable appears to be as elusive as ever. I couldn't agree more. I mean, given the recent shift in the balance of power in the United States Supreme Court with the appointments of Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and the potential of even one or two possible more appointments in the next couple of years, given the aging of Justices Ginsburg and Breyer, we're talking about the very real possibility in this nation for the first time in a generation of abortion being illegal at the federal level. On the one hand, it's a dream come true. On the other hand, abortion law and abortion culture are not the same thing. The simple fact of the matter is that studies have shown that nearly 7 out of 10 Americans stand behind and support Roe v. Wade. And even if it were overturned, abortion rights don't just disappear Rather, the issue would then be decided on a state-by-state basis and a whole new round of battle would begin. In other words, even though we pray and we preach and we work for the overturning of Roe v. Wade, that in and of itself does not address the heart of the matter. But in this church, we know what the heart of the matter is. The heart of the matter is that the heart is the matter. 
And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ alone that has the power to change people's hearts, freeing us from demonic patterns of thinking and helping us to become transformed by the renewing of our minds. I say us because 25 years ago, I was passionately pro-choice. Unhesitatingly, instinctively, disgustingly pro-choice as a teenager. But Jesus saves people. The gospel changes people. And so let's be hopeful in 2019. As I said in a sermon this time last year, unborn children don't get rescued because we're pro-life. They get rescued because we're proactive. So pray without ceasing. Promote biblical counseling. Champion Christian adoption. Support crisis pregnancy centers. Be a single issue voter. And speak up in public. Be committed to biblical strategies that seek to put a stop to the slaughter and to end state-sanctioned child sacrifice. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we have all heard and we know that we cannot legislate morality. Well, I suppose that's true insofar as it goes on a human level. Mere human beings can't legislate morality. But the fact is that you have. Because the law is love. It's love. If we boil the 613 commandments of Moses down, they reduce to one. In Christ, the law is love. And yet, Father, we have fallen woefully short of loving in this nation, loving one another, loving the unborn, loving our own lives at too high a premium. Father, being indifferent, apathetic toward this issue that has not gone away, And so we stand in awe of the fact that you know these things fully. In you we are fully known. But in Christ and only in Christ, we are fully loved. And how I pray in this moment, Father, that those among us who have taken part in abortion in any way, even by turning their backs on the issue, that we would be granted fresh repentance in this place this morning, that we would see that we have reached a level of barbarity in this nation that would make Molech worshipers 3,000 years ago blush. And I pray that you would help our church to be committed, committed as never before in the year 2019 to pulling back the curtain on this dark work and being involved, being a part of the solution. How I pray that we would take the gospel and have the good news ready on our lips to offer one another in this fellowship.
and to offer those around us. May we be people offering forgiveness and healing and comfort and a host of other treasures that you give us in the storehouse of your word. How we thank you for the promises in Scripture, all of which are yes in Jesus. This sin is deep, but Christ is deeper still. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So may we walk away from this moment prepared, armed, ready for the week you've given us, the week of mission to be and make disciples of Jesus. And we pray this in his glorious and matchless name. Amen.